I'm Anna, and I'm a youth organizer who teaches sex ed. And I'm Antonia, and I'm a doula. We're here to share unfiltered information about self-managed abortion, otherwise known as SMA. We've interviewed people with wide-ranging perspectives on the medical, legal, technological, and personal questions that arise within SMA. We've built a chorus of voices that demystifies SMA in a platform that people already have as a part of their daily routines. We're not here to tell you what to do or to advocate for SMA, but rather to share stories. On this episode, we'll be chatting with Beth Vile and Renee Bracey Sherman from We Testify. And We Testify is an organization that is dedicated to increasing the spectrum of abortion storytellers in the media and in the public sphere. We Testify is just kicking ass at the science. It's like they've turned it into a science of how you can safely build solidarity and support among abortion storytellers. And I was so grateful to have uh, both of them, because this is our first interview where we've got two folks who are being interviewed at the same time, um, because I think that they can offer really different perspectives on the work that happens at We Testify, where on the one hand, we've got Renee Racy Sherman, who's like the founder of We Testify. On her webpage, she's described as the Beyonce of abortion storytelling. She's like been in this work for a really long time. And then we've also got Beth Vile who joined We Testify, and she shares a little bit about that in the, the podcast. I just thought it was so great to hear that perspective of like, not just the person behind the org, but also someone who came to share their story at the org and then organically became a central figure in, in carrying out their work. So first, you want to just, one of you tell us how you know each other. How'd you guys meet? I met Renee because I had just joined the board of my local abortion fund. And um, Renee at the time was running a like leadership cohort for people who have had abortions through the National Network of Abortion Funds. Um, mm-hmm. And I had had my abortion about six months before joining um, the board. And I was talking to um, our board president about my abortion and she connected me with Renee um, because she felt like my abortion story was worth sharing and that I might, um, you know, benefit from like developing and um, crafting my story to share with others. So then Renee, you meet Beth. And actually one of of the questions that I, I really wanted to ask you but also Beth you can you can weigh in on what your experience of of that crafting looked like but you know we testify is this incredible org that supports abortion storytellers and so could you tell us about what that looks like like how do you train or work with someone to learn about sharing their abortion story yeah so we testify has been around for four years and uh, we recently launched as our own organization in early 2020 which is really exciting and we simply exist to um, 
lift up the leadership of people who have abortions uh, and really change the way that we are represented um, in news media and in communities and conversation and really just be there for one another. I think one of the most powerful things is when someone who's had an abortion says, I had an abortion, and then someone says, I had one too, right? That I see you, yeah, I'm here for you too, kind of feeling. And we've always wondered what does that look like to build the revolution centering people who have abortions with people who have abortions in leadership and unapologetically caring for people who have abortions. And I think that that's really the philosophy of how we do this work and how we show up for one another and how we work with storytellers who want to share their stories to sometimes be the only person they know or who looks like them sharing their story out there so that they know others uh, don't feel alone and are heard. And um, I founded it because I was sharing my abortion story and there were a few other people who were sharing their abortion stories too, but I noticed that there weren't a lot of folks with marginalized identities. So there weren't, there were a few folks of color who were consistently sharing their stories. And um, there were at the, only a few trans folks, only a few queer folks. And, and I knew there were more people out there, but my question was like, how do I get us to share our stories? And part of it was like, well, we've got to band together and work together and make sure that um, we're out there being seen. And so I've often been connected with a lot of people who are like, hey, I, I, I want to share my story too. Um, I don't see anyone out there who looks like me or speaks the language I do and shares an abortion story in that language. Um, and so I'm always there to support them in doing that. And um, a lot of times I get connected to storytellers um, through other organizations or other people who had abortions, kind of like how I got connected to Beth. And I mean, I think it was just really, there was something in Beth when I first met her, just like one, you get to see her, she's just, her face lights up when she um, talks about her passion and caring for people who are trying to get abortions, but particularly those who um, have experiences like hers where they have to travel or they, you know, are dealing with a lot of different barriers. Um, And so she was someone that, I was like, yeah, you, you know, you've, you've got, you've got it. Here we testify. Um, so she joined the cohort that we did in partnership with our friends over at advocates for youth. Um, and it was specifically a cohort of young people who had abortions ages 17 to 25, because we really wanted to highlight the barriers that young people are facing when seeking abortion. So, um, we worked with them and it was, it was really exciting and powerful to see young people speaking out, particularly because even in our movement where, you know, the pro-choice movement or abortion rights movement, reproductive rights movement, whatever you want to call it, like stigma still exists. Um, there's stigma among abortion supporters towards people who have more than one abortion, towards people who have later abortions. Um, 
towards people who are open about the fact that they couldn't afford their abortion, you know, all of these things. And um, another is towards young people uh, because they kind of feel like young people are not necessarily, there's just like the parental involvement laws. They're there for, you know, to help young people, even though they're not, they're disproportionately um, Mm -hmm. making it more difficult for them to get access. So part of that cohort was really to, elevate the voices of young people and talk about the barriers that young people are experiencing, even ones that sometimes get forgotten within our own movement. Mm. And Beth, what made you want to work with this cohort of young people? What made you want to share? Um, when I was first seeking out my abortion, I had a really hard time finding stories on the internet or content on the internet about Um, later abortions that looked like mine. Um, I had a later abortion um, because I have some chronic health um, illnesses that kept me from experiencing the symptoms of pregnancy. I don't normally menstruate as it is, so there was no real tell until I did find out I was pregnant um, by going to the doctor for a different reason. Um, So I felt very isolated in my experience and I didn't know anyone else who had had an abortion until I joined We Testify. Um, And that was a real life-changing experience for me in the fact that like there's something special about the bond um, of when like Renee referenced earlier like of when you say like I had an abortion and someone said I had one too. Um, There's there's just an unspoken understanding of the other person on some level. And We Testify has really helped me own an experience that I thought I was supposed to be feeling ashamed of. And Mm -hmm. um, now is something I feel empowered by. Yeah, so We Testify has been um, a real game changer for me in all the best ways. Um, It's let me act on and have access to um, platforms and things that I would have never had before to get to speak about something that's very important to me and something I'm very passionate about. And it's also connected me with some people who will be, you know, some of the people in Youth Testify with me were going to be some of my best friends for the rest of my life. Thank you so much for for sharing that um, and for for sort of inviting us into into your experience. I was wondering this, either of you can answer or both of you could answer if you have sort of differing perspectives on this, but, you know, we're a podcast about self-managed abortion. And I was wondering if you could offer your thoughts on what makes sharing a story about abortion different when it's in the context of self-managed abortion. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think Um, There are pieces and elements that are very much the same, right? Where people are talking about why they needed an abortion and how they were feeling at the time. A lot of people often feel alone because they can't necessarily tell someone that that they're pregnant um, or they can't tell very many people because they're afraid of how they'll be treated or that that person might um, stop them from being able to get the care that they need. 
But one of the things that people don't realize is that um, self-managing an abortion is not quite legal in a lot of places in the country. Some places there's not really a whole lot of law around it, but other places it is actually illegal to um, to perform an abortion um, on yourself, like outside of a clinic setting. And a lot of people tend to think about the back alley abortions and coat hangers and things like that. But the reality is that that's not what self-managed abortion looks like today. It looks like something as simple as taking five pills, right? The mifepristone on the first day, and then the four misoprostol pills the 24 hours later. It's quite simple. It's depicted on television, uh, films, and TV shows all the time. People do it all around the world. It's actually quite common. And about 40% of abortions in the United States are performed through medication abortion, for example. The reality is that if you take the pills, there's no way for anyone to test to see that you've taken them because it's the same as having a miscarriage. In fact, the treatment is nearly identical. But it's saying that you took those pills and that what you did, that um, is what puts you in jeopardy. And so it actually can be very risky for someone who has self-managed an abortion to be open and share their abortion story. Because as you know, you can see from the political landscape right now, there are extremely overzealous prosecutors and um, anti-abortion officials who are willing to put people in jail um, over this. And I think it's really, really terrifying, but also a lot of people want to be able to talk about the fact that they self-managed an abortion because it's extremely safe. They can say, yeah, I just took some pills and it really wasn't that big a deal. Um, Took them at home. Or they can talk about traditional medicines that uh, they want to use whether it's part of their culture or it's something part of their medicinal practice that they feel like that's how they would like to end their pregnancy and they'd like to do it at home, uh, maybe with some loved one, maybe during a ritual, any of those things, right? Those herbs, they should be able to do that. But because abortion is so heavily stigmatized and criminalized, um, they aren't free to be able to talk about that the way that those of us who had abortions in clinic um, are able to share our stories pretty freely. Mm. No, absolutely. And, and you both, as I'm curious to hear sort of how We Testify has been navigating conversations about this because your, you know, your mission is such a bold and beautiful one of making people feel safe and empowered and, and like they're part of a community who's there to support them and sharing their story. But what does that look like when there are real legal risks for folks in, in sharing their story um, in the SMA context? Yeah, well, it looks a lot like really having a conversation with a storyteller to think about Um, what parts of their story they want to share, how they want to share, being very, 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 very clear with them about the legal risks that they are facing. And then also um, anywhere that they are sharing, 
talking to the reporter or podcaster or, you know, whatever it is about the legal risks that the storyteller is taking on and making sure that they truly understand what that storyteller is risking to be able to speak out. Um, because it's, it's not just as simple as going out and being like, I had an abortion. Um, it's just, it's not the same legally, unfortunately, right now. And I don't necessarily think that everyone understands the gravity of that. And so it feels, it's our job with We Testify is we're working with the storytellers to both make sure that the storytellers understand the gravity of that. And that if it's not something they want to do, then that they don't have to do. And, you know, all storytelling is always up to them. The number one rule of we testify is that you don't actually have to share your story um, and you don't have to share all of your story. You can share as much or as little as you want, but also um, making sure that they're as protected as possible. And then um, we also do negotiation where we're talking with um, folks about what makes the most sense of um, to actually air because I my assumption is, is that everyone, no one wants to get someone in trouble legally. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for explaining that. I think um, as journalists, you know, Antonia and I are, are crafting this, this podcast specifically about this topic and, and reading your work on how orgs can better support uh, abortion storytellers and sort of how to approach yeah, asking how to how to ask someone to share. Uh, it's it's been huge. So, so thank you so much for all of that work that that you're doing. I I thought about not asking about COVID, but Beth, you wrote a pretty amazing piece in Newsweek uh, a little a little bit ago about how COVID is impacting access to to care. And I wanted to hear whether you you both have a sense of how COVID is changing the landscape of abortion access and whether you think there is more interest now in self-managing or care, you know, self-managed care uh, just due to the the lack of access to to clinical care becoming even more dramatic than it was before. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, and so right now, um, what I've seen as far as on the hotline, um, I'm actually on the hotline right now. Um, it's we go in two week shifts, so I've seen it like right in the thick of. Um, you know, the pandemic. And um, what I'm seeing from people is, you know, a lot of people are losing their jobs, and they're no longer able to afford um, their abortions. I'm also seeing people coming to my region from Texas, because um, the abortion clinics in Texas are currently closed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that kind of is this kind of undue burden on both ends. Someone has to leave where they normally would be able to access abortion in their hometown or in their home state now are having to travel thousands of miles, um, you know, across the country to access health, their health care. Um, 
And you know, some of these people have also lost their jobs, so it's not like they can easily afford that move, you know, to make those moves to mm-hmm. get to where they need to be. Um, I'm working with someone right now who is from Texas and they both lost their job because of COVID and are unable to access their abortion because of COVID. Um, and it's been, it's been, we've been scrambling. We've had to, you know, make moves. They called and we had to try and get them in to see their appointment the next day and like get them from Texas to Washington in like 24 hours. Um, which, um, you know, we are having to take more precautions on our end. Um, and so that means spending more of our budget on hotels instead of volunteer homestays, on lift rides instead of um, volunteer rides. And so that takes away funding from our budget that would normally go towards funding procedures and funding travel and logistics and lodging and stuff like that. Um, to now, like, now it's going towards affording more of those things and less procedures in total. Um, so that's the stress on our end, whereas the stress on their end is they're already anxious about having to, um, access an abortion during their pandemic and now travel for it. And now also to what was once the epicenter, um, for, you know, at one point in time was the epicenter for COVID-19. Um, you, you just were experiencing a lot of, you can just, it's like very palpable, um, anxiety. You can just hear it in people's voices. I think um, we all experience that on some level right now, but um, I can't um, I can't even begin to understand. I mean, I can understand a little bit from my own experience having to travel for my abortion, um, but it wasn't during a pandemic. There wasn't, um, I was able to go outside um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I did. I wasn't cooped up in a hotel room all day, if I didn't want to be. Um, and so there's just it's a different it's a different landscape right now. Um, but we're we're making the adjustments we need to. We're making them quickly, and so nothing's nothing's inaccessible. There's just quite a few more barriers. Mm. Whoa! You named about five obstacles that I hadn't even thought of yet. And I'm, I'm living in, in uh, UK where they just announced that the home is officially a legal place to administer an abortion, which is really cool. So all of the providers here who are already providing abortion are now sending pills to people's homes, uh, which is really kind of creative and and I think thoughtful on the part of the government and it just is nuts to think about how many problems would be solved if a similar stance were taken in the U.S. Renee did you have anything that you wanted to add on how you're understanding COVID related barriers to care? It just makes me so angry um, that the irony of the anti-abortion people calling themselves pro-life is just on full display right now because the exact same people who have just been hellbent on passing the anti-abortion laws just to like, quote unquote, save lives are openly shrugging um, at the fact that thousands of people are dying every single day. Um, And literally just being like, well, you know, you got to break some eggs to fix the economy. And 
that is just like so deeply offensive. And then on top of that, to say, well, the abortion is not an essential procedure. It's not timely. So we need to shut the clinics down. And then shrugging their shoulders at people who have to travel, knowing that the CDC has said, stay in your home, knowing that the CDC has said, do not travel outside of your community. Um, They're forcing people to do that. They are creating a public health hazard. Um, And I think that that just goes to show how much they have never, ever cared about people who need abortions. They see that our lives are expendable at the expense of the fetus and that really for most people's pregnancies, it's an embryo, right? Because they're very early in the pregnancy, but just like they don't see us as people to care about. They don't, they hate us so much. They do not love us. And with, we, we testify, we say everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. They're not recognizing that they are putting people they love very much in danger right now. Um, and I think part of it is ignorance. Part of it, I do think they just don't care. And that is just really infuriating um, because the people who need abortions are parents. They're someone's loved one. They're someone's um, sibling. You know, they, they deserve healthcare. They deserve to be loved. They deserve to be supported and they deserve to not be deserted by their elected officials during a pandemic and told that their care and their needs do not matter. And the fact that they're saying, well, you can just get an abortion later. No, you can't. Why? Because you all banned later abortion in so many of these states and you've shuttered clinics. And it just, it's, they created this catch 22 and then throw their arms up and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you to do. There's an interview with the Texas attorney general, Ken Paxton. The reporter asked him, uh, her CBS reporter, her name's Kate Smith. She asked him one, did he know that people were traveling out of state? And he said that he didn't really think that was happening. And she was like, well, it is happening. I talked to people who are doing that. And then she asked him, what was his message for people who are being forced to do this? And, you know, he just kind of went on and said, well, you know, we're trying to protect human life and this, this and that. And again, it just shows that he does not see them as a life worth protecting Mm. because he and the governor could easily make a decision that says, you know what, let's say everybody's abortion under 10 weeks, they got a medication abortion, they can take the pills at home, right? They could just come get the first pill in, at the clinic and take the rest of them at home. The majority of abortions, 95% of them happen within the first 12 weeks, right? That's the majority of abortions could be converted to being done at home. They could be done via telemedicine, right? We have the innovation, we have the technology, and they're actively standing in the way of it. They're actively forcing people to leave the state to get an abortion procedure that's 10 minutes long. That is wild. 
they hate us that much, you know? And I think, I don't know, it's just very frustrating and very scary. And I think coronavirus has really shown the inequities in our health and justice system that a lot of us have seen for since the beginning of time, right? That not everyone has that equal access to care. Not everyone is valued. No, all lives do not matter, right? All of this but now I think the larger public is starting to see it because it's affecting them and someone that they love. And my hope um, is that for the people who survive this, because not everyone will, right? But once we are on the other side of this, that we actually have some radical changes in our system so that the people who do survive going forward do actually have the human right to healthcare. They do have access to the abortions that they need, that they do have all of these things afterwards. Um, because the reality is, is that our refusal to see healthcare as a human right, our refusal to actually give people the resources that they need is killing people. And I don't see anything that's pro-life about that. Beth, you mentioned that funds are being allocated to different places now as um, people are having to travel, but also self-isolate during, during COVID. But I was wondering if you could, either of you, speak to the, the sort of specific, I guess, services, like ways in which we testify can support, has the ability to support someone who comes to you saying, I need help? That's a good question. Um, well, I just want to be clear, we don't do direct service. So um, it's complicated that we wouldn't, if someone was like, I need to self-manage, we wouldn't be able to help them directly. But there are a lot of organizations out there that that is what they do. Women Help Women is one. Plan C is another. Um, and so they will help people who, someone who wants to self-manage their abortion. Um, and then of course there's the, um, self-managed abortion helpline, um, that is run by if, when, how that answers any sort of legal questions that people have around self-managing their abortion. But I think if someone has self-managed their abortion, um, either successfully or unsuccessfully, because we have some storytellers who have um, done it unsuccessfully, um, and they wanted to share their story, um, I'm happy to sit with them and talk about, one, just talk with them about what that experience is like. And I'm always available to just listen, because I know that uh, sometimes that's just all really someone needs. Um, I also always suggest one of my favorite organizations called All Options. Um, they have a talk line for people um, for their pregnancy experiences, whether you had an abortion, um, place for adoption, or parenting, whatever it is. If you just need a listening ear, they are always available. So their talk line is really, really wonderful. Um, but yeah, I think if someone is thinking about sharing their story, um, I am always available to walk through 
the risks with someone and what precautions they can take and all of those sorts of things. Um, and then if someone needs an abortion, um, whether it's in clinic or self-managed, I'm always happy to show them where the resources are. Um, your local abortion fund is always there for you. Um, as are, is your local clinic, just call your local clinic and tell them what's up. And they, those staff are so wonderful and they're willing to help. Um, and if you need a judicial bypass, um, you know, call your local ACLU or um, your local clinic or your abortion fund, they'll help you. Or if you're in Texas, Jane's Due Process is an organization that helps young people navigate judicial bypass. So there are just so many resources out there. Um, and we're just one part of the ecosystem that um, if you want a listening ear or if and when you're ready to share your story, um, we're here for you. We're here to listen and we're here to support you in speaking out. Awesome. Antonia and I end all of our interviews with the same question. And I'd love it if both of you could answer it in turns, um, which is if you had a megaphone and you were standing on the top of a building, and you could shout one thing into it for all the crowds below to hear, what would it be? I would probably, ooh, the thing that I try to drive home is that um, your abortion, regardless of what that looks like, is, is valid. Um, I'm screaming that through megaphones as it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I would say... Yeah, I would, on repeat, with like the horns and all, sirens and all, I'd mm. be reminding people that regardless of what other people say, like, if it feels like the right choice to you, it was the right choice. I love that. I love that too. Um, I think I would probably just have to be on brand and just say, you know, everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. And I just, you know, say that I had an abortion. And hopefully on the other side of that megaphone, some people say that they had one too. And that's it for this episode. We want to get these stories to folks who are looking for them. If you know of anyone who wants to learn more about this topic, a friend, family member, or colleague, please share this episode with them. Our goal is to demystify this conversation and what that takes is talking about it. Head over to our website, smapodcast.org to get the resources discussed in this interview as well as the transcript, which we have in both Spanish and English. Thank you for listening and have a good one. Mm-hmm.